0: or by contacting me directly, Damon, at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Pastolka, and I am excited for our guest today. I've got Andrew Penny, and we're going to talk about the common traits of businesses that thrive. Andrew, awesome to have you here today. It's
1: great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this.
0: Man, I'm excited. I really am excited because I was looking at your background. You know, we talked before and looking at your background and we actually met because you are on the Manufacturing Masters and and that's how we met through the Manufacturing Masters with uh, with Darren and, and Vince there. And uh, I actually have a video that I recorded. I don't know when it's going to come out, but we'll see. But that's this is cool. It, it's good to talk to you because, man, you help people with marketing, midsize uh, companies with marketing. I think it's really cool what you're doing. But I also think there's some other stuff that's that, that we want to talk about, as I said, the common traits of businesses that thrive. Because you describe it well uh, on, on your uh, LinkedIn profile where you're talking about you think that good societies are founded on well-run, privately held businesses. So can you this that's first of all this i I wanted to jump right into that but let's talk about your background a little bit because man your background is interesting because you you work for some really interesting stuff coming up and then you've been consulting for a while so let's talk about your background first i was getting excited there yeah
1: you want the resume i mean i could go on for hours uh I I oh, kind of grew, grew up in sales and marketing, you know. I, yeah, yeah. I, I had a, a degree in English literature, and I guess back in the in the seventies or eighties, whenever it was, um, you know, you're either a teacher or you become a salesperson. So, I became a salesperson, and uh, I worked for a lot of a lot of companies. And you know what? One of the things that really annoyed me in the early days is that, and it's still true today. Um, the, the, the marketing folks didn't know what the sales folks were doing. And oftentimes, yeah. the marketing people weren't talking to the client, you know, to, to the prospect, to the marketplace. So there was this disconnect. You know, Marketing would be off selling this message, and sales would be marching mm-hmm. in a different direction. And that just, just bugged me all the way along. So anytime I, I – uh, at one point, I, I was working for one of Canada's uh, – it was actually the first uh, mobile telephone company, uh, Bell Cellular. Yep. and uh I was I think I was employee 14 and wow. I just said no you know we we've, we've got to get marketing and sales singing the same song so I kind of uh subsumed marketing into my department and you know we we actually did really really well with it we put some very interesting strategies together and scooped the competition and had dominant market share uh, blue chip clients so it worked really really well but it was, a, it was a it was that difference between sales and marketing that bugged me and you um, know that continued to itch me a little bit, and I I, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd be sitting in some of the executive meetings, and people would be going on about uh, human rights legislation or uh, amortization of capital uh, investments, and uh, you know uh, supporting the ventures, all this kind of stuff. And I'm
0: yeah,
1: I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, so I decided I need to know what the game was. So uh, I went back to, to school and did a, an MBA and learned all that stuff. And some of it I like, some of it I could care less about, but yes. I know what they're talking about. So when somebody, uh, I don't think there's anything in business that somebody can bring up that I can not say, okay, you know, I know what you're talking about and that's not right, or explain this to me. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I, I think, you know, those kinds of experiences have have done me really well, but, I, yeah. but do go back to that. You know that's one aspect of alignment. That sales and marketing alignment that really does need to be uh, organized properly.
0: Well, there's no doubt. I mean, because you see this all the time, and and it was a lot more years ago than it is now. Because it's it's you know it'll kill a business now, whereas years ago you kind of got away with it. But if you're not speaking to your customers now, you're it's really hurting. It's not just a little bit inconvenient. Yeah. It's really hurting.
1: I, I think there are a lot of companies that recognize their marketing companies. I, I work with a number of technology companies and they're all tech first and you know the product market fit We'll yeah. figure that out later you know that's a problem but yeah. you know I, I tell all of these guys that you have to become a marketing company If you're successful, you yes. have to be a marketing company and you have to be a customer service company and some of the service uh, customer service mm-hmm. uh, products. Uh, but even manufacturing companies you know I, I, they've got you know good r and d many of them uh they've got you know uh, lean operations they've got uh, their supply chain all figured out and they've got a a guy in sales and they they don't develop that side of their business and you know there's two aspects of it one is okay got to fill the funnel but what are you filling the funnel with Mm -hmm. um you know are you filling it with one client you know, you got dependency. Are you filling it with a whole bunch of really hard to do, low margin stuff that's different? You know, sort of a heterogeneous product mix, or are you going after the easy stuff from a diversified client base with good margin? Yeah. yeah and and is the guy in sales? You know, and uh, you know, good for him for or her for for driving that. But there's not enough efforts put put into the strategy around business development. I'll call it, which encompasses. Yeah marketing and all the rest of it. So that's I see that all the time in mid-sized marketing or mid-sized manufacturing firms. Mm-hmm. It's all yeah. about the
0: factory, you know?
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. And you you make such a great point because how many manufacturing businesses have you seen go out of business because they keep for going down the same road with the same customers and not making the money they should?
1: Well, the other thing that happens, absolutely, the other thing that happens is, um, if you look at the average lifespan or, of a of a product or or, or even a client, mm-hmm. you know, twenty years, uh, you're doing well at twenty years. But but that company's going to change. I mean, in your business, right, it's going to have new owners. Yes, it's going to have a different story, you're going to get in there and change how they do things. Mm-hmm. And the guys that are supplying, or oh, where where did my you know easy easy business go? No. So. It, it's it, it's a you need an evergreen strategy on on your prospects and your your client base.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. I like that evergreen strategy around your prospects. You
1: know, who you know are you are you working with new new types of companies? I won't I won't call them startups because a startup can be two guys in the basement. A startup, yeah. Elon Musk's gigafactory right? But you yeah. know, you're working with you know the the. the the next wave of opportunities.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was, I was recently, uh, recently in my past is a few years, but working with a company that was working with a startup, but it was a startup that was a part of Google and, and, you know, it went, you know, then you got a reasonable chance of success when you're doing that. And, uh, and also same company that is a startup with Microsoft and, uh, you know, those are companies that a startup to them is a significant opportunity for, yeah. for yeah. a lot of companies. And that, those are good, good ones to work. Are you good? But that is, a, that is an example of uh, a company that had long held cu- customers, you know, like you said, the 20 plus year customers, but they were diversifying, diversifying with some newer kinds of customers and more technology based things around their products to keep that long-term longevity, because you don't know what the next, the next bet, the next, Long-term twenty-year customers going to be.
1: That's right. That's right. And we've seen the 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 upheaval over the last uh, three years. Yeah. Hotels, retail. We have a client in uh, in Lithuania. uh, Sorry, Latvia. Um, Oh wow. His steel prices are going up 130 percent every month. Oh my goodness! And and he's a steel fabricator. I mean, this is not. this is his business, right? Yeah. So he. Wow. And and it's because Russia supplies a lot of Europe. Used to supply a lot of European steel now mm-hmm. it's coming from uh italy and places like that which means you've got to barge it through the mediterranean up around and up to riga through the baltic uh, sea
0: I and mean, it's that's crazy so how do you you know
1: it, how, how do you play in that game Yeah. so the, those disruptions if you've got a a very a, a variegated let's call it or, or heterogeneous customer base it makes it a lot easier to to work in that market
0: yeah, yeah, that's for sure, that's for sure. So, let's let's talk a little bit more about your background, though, because you you had worked you, your class eight truck work. So you that's one of your earlier jobs. But you were selling, you were sold to all the major truck manufacturers. It looked like in yeah. North America.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was working with a company in uh, Montreal. I was their OEM sales manager. Yeah, uh, they didn't have any OEM sales when I joined them, but um, they did when I left. But yeah. they um they were making heavy duty uh, suspension components. So yeah. leaf springs for Mac trucks, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And um, we ended up uh selling to I think every one of the class eights except uh international at the time. So i have been out your way. Uh yeah. uh who was it? It was Packard. Packard, yeah, eight liner were out yep. your yep. way.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Western Star up in Canada, uh, Yeah. all the Mac plants, uh Volvo White, uh yep. so all of those guys. We, we have cool. an, an interesting story there because a, a lot of our business was in the aftermarket part. So mm-hmm. OEM aftermarket and um, in the, in the uh, sort of new product OEM, you know, that you'd have order lengths of, you know, uh, 5,000, 10,000 units. And the pricing, the competition on that was brutal. You know, you'd be lucky if you got 15 points.
0: Yeah.
1: And then when you, and and we were a small plant, we couldn't handle most of that stuff anyway. But in the aftermarket side of the business, they would only buy two or three of these things a year. So we could get 500% margin. They didn't yeah, yeah. But if you've got a thousand parts at 500% margin, you know, it, it, it was just a fantastic way to really drive the business. But it, it, it shows you that the, the buying processes and the, uh, the, the criteria that you use are very different, even though it's, different part, it's the same company, but a different part of it. Yeah. We have to market guys. Can you get it to us in two weeks, you know, please? And no one else would, would do, you know, a couple of parts.
0: So we yeah. dismissed
1: them basically two guys with a hammer.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had huge, huge
1: margins on them. It was great.
0: Yeah. Well, and you found your niche then. I mean it really is is if you can if yeah, I can't make you a million by Tuesday, but I can get you two by Tuesday where no one else can.
1: Right. And two of these and two of these and two of these and two of these Yeah. For, Five different manufacturers, and we had a great business. Made yeah. a lot of money doing that.
0: Yeah, but, yeah, that's no doubt, and that—that's uh, a—that is a cool, a cool way to do it. Yeah, and sure. some companies
1: kill themselves by getting the two and then trying to do the thousand. Yeah, and then their margin drops down, their production goes to hell, they're working overtime and paying for it, and they can't deliver,
0: and the is yeah. not good. Yeah.
1: You know, whereas yeah. this stuff, the, the quality inspection was sort of, you know. Put a measure, yeah. okay,
0: good enough. Well, yeah, because if they really need it, someone's going to make it work, right? Yeah. They're going to make it work, and so there's stuff. But, but the that's a that's a great point, actually. The aftermarket compared to the to the OEM market uh, on products, They're I, I'm amazed when I look at trucks. There's one thing when I look at things like, well, of course, automotive in general, you know, just private automotive or fleet automotive, and and things like forklifts and. All these industrial products, the aftermarket businesses for them is so crazy. Uh, It's it's extensive, just so extensive. Yeah, Yeah. it's really something. So
1: in in production equipment, because if your forklift is down, you might have a spare or two, but you know, I need it by Thursday. Yeah, I don't care what it costs. You know, five hundred, five, bring it on.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's been some e-commerce uh, in the forklift space. There's been some really interesting e-commerce. And they must be resellers or something because I've, I've seen them with, you know, skew counts of in the millions. And I was like, so it must be, they must be aggregating from all okay. different kinds. Or like something a, like
1: that. A, a meta distributor or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty interesting. So you were in, you were in, like you saw before, you were in the telecom industry earlier. <laughs> And yep. then you were with some of the first national uh, internet providers in Canada. Yep, Yeah. That yep. was an interesting time, I bet, wasn't it? It,
1: it was. Um, is this an adult program? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We were sitting around in the office in Ottawa and we, you know, this was before URLs or before, it was um, uh, IP addresses, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Somebody had told us about this uh, video you could watch online. It was live. So okay, we're all around this display in in the, uh, in yeah. the office, and we type it in, and it's a um, shall we say it's an undressed performance by multiple people.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And we're watching television, okay. And there was a a, a question bar, so we you could type something in. So we typed in, you know, hello from Canada, yeah. and one of the people got up and went to a notepad, and then held up, you know, uh, Hello Canada. And to me, that was the first interactive video, you know, personal connection, yeah. not TV, not broadcast, not recorded. It was a live connection through a computer with full video. And that was you know, like early, early days of the Internet. Yeah. And, and when I – not the content, but when I saw yeah. that capability, it was like this changes everything. And, you know, here we are today doing this. After yeah. That. But, it, it, yeah. you know, that – the 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 ability to um effortlessly effortlessly communicate anywhere in the world in data and that can be any any format of data you want that just i blew my mind you know digital natives go like duh you know but
0: yeah well but those of us that can remember before the internet literally before email before texting before all that good stuff you know it it I can remember the same the same time frame when you started to be able to email people. It yep. was a big deal. Holy yep. heck! Yep. You didn't have to use yep. the phone. You could email somebody a question. Yep. It, we were telling
1: all of our clients,
0: you know, put your your web address.
1: I guess we called it in the days. Put your web address on your billboard. And I'm like, why would I do that? You'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now of <laughs> course every bit of collateral's got a web address an email address. Uh, the, the, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name
0: it. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, that's cool. So you've had Kingsford Consulting for a while now, and you've been helping uh, you know B2B companies and, and other companies with their marketing. Why Why marketing? Why did you choose marketing? I mean, you had a great sales career. You could be helping people with sales, but you, you chose marketing.
1: Well, it's interesting. I, um, I don't differentiate okay i used to talk for a while there you talk about big am marketing and i and i yeah. probably a better term is business development because marketing is a subset marketing i mean marcom marketing communications is probably a better term for what a lot of people think when they think marketing you yeah. know, advertising a promotion and and uh, this sort of thing and so on right um but to me the the whole piece of it is it's it's the whole revenue side of the business So it's your market position it's uh it's your distribution network it's your awareness it's your messaging uh you know sales is just a portion of that that's the actual engagement piece and and negotiation discussion that can be live it can be done on a website it can be done through email or whatever but that that's just a piece of the overall business development story so I wouldn't say that we're on the marketing side per se. It's sort of that business development, the revenue side of a company. How do we make more money or how do yeah. we start making money? That's really the question that we answer, all of it. So that's that's the difference.
0: That's awesome because uh... – and it wasn't rehearsed. I didn't even, th- you, you didn't right. know I was asking this question because I think that that's one of the, one of the points that I picked up in, in talking to you earlier and, and uh, from the stuff that you you've, you've put out is that you approach marketing from a revenue generation standpoint. Yes. There's, like you said, awareness and branding and, and everything all the way through, but marketing is really a piece of revenue generation. It's, and, it's, it was sales is a subset of marketing. Yeah. 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 Sales is a subset of marketing.
1: There you go. How do, we, how do we connect with the customer and get the money from them? That's the sales bit. But who is the customer? What's the story we give them? Where do where are they located? What awareness strategy we use to 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 get their attention? You know, yeah. all of that is all part of the business development story. And that I mean, that's true whether you're in in uh, products or services, uh, whether you're selling um, through through a channel, whether you're selling uh, direct to consumer, uh, selling online, that story is still there the the sales engagement piece is just tailored to whatever the relationship is
0: yeah yeah so when you when you look at marketing what's been the toughest marketing challenge you've had or just say the toughest product or business you've ever had to help industry something like that just when you go man that was tough but we got it
1: you know i remember the pain i can't remember the instance but um there you go we we tend to use something we, we call it a position statement it basically says what do you do who do you do it for who else does it why are you better i mean that's that's the model it's it, yeah, a little more than that but that's that's the essence of it so, you know, we start with a customer. We look at, okay, what, what do you got? What are you, you know, what are your capabilities? What are your aspirations? You know, and what, what can you deliver or can't you deliver? So, you know, so what do you do? You know, we, we look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, who could we do it for? I mean, you look at, you segment the market, right? You yeah. look at the addressable market. You look at the segment, you segment the market. And then all those segments, you look at, okay, who, what are they competing against in those markets? I can be a competitor. It can be inertia. It can be do it yourself. What do you what do you, what are you having to overcome in that market, and then why are you better than whatever it is you're trying to overcome? So that's the that's sort of the 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 the, uh, the algorithm we look at the market through, mm-hmm. and you have to get it all to work, right? So okay, that's a good market. Oh, we can't compete. Okay, but you know this would be good, but we don't do that. So that system has to work. And sometimes you get to it where, you know, the company just is really has no advantage no real hard advantage in any one marketplace it's really tough um yeah it, it and usually it's a tired company oftentimes they're doing this and you know they're they're wondering why they're they're about to crash and can we help them and uh oftentimes it's too late because the, you, you really have to reinvent what what do we do because that's yeah What we're doing nobody wants is what, which or or fewer and fewer people want. So how do you reinvent the the what do we do so that it becomes relevant? Um, Yeah. But I tell you, there's there's particularly now, particularly with manufacturers, there's a really interesting way to differentiate. Um, I'll give an example. We've got a client in Argentina, and they make uh, farming implements. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, hay balers, baggers. the stuff you pull behind a tractor, right? Yep.
0: Very familiar. And, uh,
1: you know, they want to come to North America. Now, why not? You know, it's, uh, her just has got a pretty robust agricultural uh, environment, but yes, they do, uh, you know, the sort of the corn belt of Canada and the U.S. is it's ripe for, no pun intended, it's ripe for, for market expansion. Um, when you look at the market, though, there's this company that sells green tractors, uh, John Deere. They've got 3000 dealers. Yeah. So how do you break into the market? How do you how do you um, you know how do you compete on service? How do you compete on you know they're everywhere. So th- there's a there's a slice of almost every incumbent market right now that has gone digital. And out of the people that own farms, and, you know we we've got the numbers. I think we determined that something like. Oh, I think the number is like 30 or 40,000 farms are run by what I would call a digital farmer. Yes. The digital farmers in his tractor, you know, he's looking at the soil. Oh, yeah. Prices, he's looking at corn prices, uh, you know, he's ordering, you know, whatever. Uh, so they're fully digital. They get yeah. it. You know, they buy on Amazon. They would buy a Tesla like this online. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we don't need you know, uh, three hundred or one hundred and fifty thousand uh, clients. Okay, for our Argentinian guy, we we need like a few thousand would be marvelous. Yeah. So there's a slice of the market that will buy online. So the the competitive strategy is direct to consumer, but tailor it, not not to you know somebody who's say fifty five and you know yeah have a profile and doesn't have a TikTok account and isn't on Twitter right you know forget it. So you you tailor it to that very narrow slice of the market and you differentiate on distribution you don't differentiate on on quality you don't differentiate on the the, the, the color of the machine you don't look differentiate on features and fun those are all table stakes got to work right yeah but you differentiate on distribution and that to me is is a, an excellent way for a lot of manufacturers to change the game disintermediate get rid of the of the channel not for your whole market necessarily. Uh, as a new mm-hmm. in a market, I mean, it's it. You'd be dumb not to do this. But if you're trying to to work your market, then maybe if you're developing a new product, take that's that doesn't wouldn't be carried by your existing channel. Yep. That's the one you go direct to customer with. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a well in 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 that industry, um, retail prices uh, it's about a hundred percent markup. So a a hundred thousand dollar yeah has fifty thousand dollars worth of margin in it yeah you, you can keep it all as a manufacturer or if you give up half of it for you know to have a price advantage or give up half of it to you know i was joking you, you could from a service point of view you could afford to fly a helicopter and you know with a guy in a wrench to fix it right yeah <laughs> so the, the market is is uh, that particular market the channel is, is is very bloated and very wasteful when yeah. you know what technology can do so.
0: yeah that's awesome because it it just it shows the vulnerability of of the market because a, as totally. as we know that market is changing those buyers are changing every single day the 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 the, the amount of digital Buyers and farmers, or in any market, any buyer, you look across, and this is manufacturing across. If if every manufacturer that's listening to this right now should take note of it, because if you're not, and I've, it's funny you said this, because I get on my high horse about this a lot, <laughs> just because, look, the average age of the people making decisions in OEM manufacturing companies are not digital immigrants anymore. They are digital natives. They 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 made the decisions based on the fact that they grew up in Google and a phone in their hand, and they can do just like you said, those digital farmers and manufacturing across the board. Yes, you still need salespeople, as you said, to do what you need to do. But if you're not doing it digitally, you're 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 losing margin every, you're losing market share every day. So that that leads me to my next
1: pet idea or, or concept here and it's very true I and mean, we talked about this before um once you start selling online you realize that everybody can sell online yeah everybody so can everybody can sell online and the the um the concept i talk about is being best in the world um because if you're selling online you're well this guy in argentina he's coming to north america right look out john deere yeah, uh, our guy in Latvia, you know, he's doing the same thing. You know, yes. he's coming. And the mistake a lot of people make when they enter a new market is they come with their full catalog. Hey, we got everything. You know, we're a one-stop mm-hmm. shop. You know, you can buy this, that, 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 from us. And, you know, that's all right if you're selling O-rings and, you know, they're just different sizes. But if they're different categories of product, that yeah. doesn't make any sense. Because how can you be best of all of them? And you can't put focus behind it. So... You know, the, the the strategy really needs to be, okay, if you're going to expand your market, you're going to go global with something. You're going to go online with something. Pick something where you you are or you could become best in the world. And best yeah. is a nebulous term. You know, it has to be price and features and service mm-hmm. and, and uh, brand power and a whole bunch of things, right? Um, but you have to be best in the world. But pick that, that one area. You know, we... We make mice, you know, that's yeah. what we, do. we were the world's yeah. best mouse maker and become the world. But you might sort of, the initial thought is, well, you know, how many people buy mice? You know, and you're thinking of your, you know, Seattle or, or Ottawa yeah. or, or Canada, you know, that's irrelevant. You know, of the, what is it, six billion people or something in the world, how many buy mice? You know, that's your market. Yeah. So, but you have to be best in the world if you're going to go global with it. So that's, yeah. that's what I tell people when they're going into a new market what is it that you can be best in the world at not only from an offensive point of view but that guy in argentina is going to come after you if you're not best in the world in your home market
0: well that that's just it and and people don't see it over time i mean and or in the short term you don't see business erosion in the short term because it's little chinks. It's like death by a thousand cuts. Exactly. It just keeps going. Exactly. It's like, oh, we didn't get that work. Oh, that didn't, that order, you know, they they didn't order from us, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yep. In, you know, and this it could be an OEM manufacturer. This could be a contract manufacturer. It doesn't really, you don't see it. Yep. Yep. And it's, a, it's eroding every single minute of the day unless you know and you own that, that piece of the market and you know where it's going, why it's going. And it's it's sad to see it happen, but there's businesses dying around us every day that have been successful for many, many years. Yep. And they're getting beat, like you said, by global competitors that are coming in direct to consumer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. able to do it or mm-hmm. the person around the street that has a digital strategy and mm-hmm. marketing strategy that you don't.
1: So you know you've got you've got your your sales that are dropping, right? But the, if you use this strategy, as your sales are dropping, your best in the world product is taking over. You know, yeah. if you're you're maintaining or growing your revenue, um, yeah, it's a. If you if you if you don't play that game, you will eventually you will disappear.
0: Yeah. The other the other yep. key
1: point of that though is, you know, just like the the Argentinian guys are going after the uh, the digital farmer. We've even specified, you know, what they're growing, what states they're in, uh, how old they are. You know, we've we've narrowed it down very, very specifically. Mm-hmm. Same thing with best in the world. You can't be best in the. I mean, you'd never be, make the world's best mouse for the entire population. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are left-handed. Some people yeah. are blind. Some people are short. Some people, you know, yeah. whatever they don't like the color white. So you 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 have to hyper segment your market. Yep. And if you hyper segment your market and be best in the world for that with this product or, or service for that hyper segmented marketplace, then you have a chance of winning. But if you yeah. try to be you know we serve farmers like forget it.
0: yeah. it ain't happening.
1: No, no. So the, the challenge is to have the objectivity to be able to look at, at look at what you do. I go back to what do you do who do you do it for who else does it, why you better? You have to look at what you do and are really, really good at, it and say, "All right, what would it? What is the hyper segment or the, the the fine segment where I could be best in the world with this? And if not, what would I have to do to it? But you know, what is that segment, and how big is that segment? Is it is it global? Is it you know is it is it age? Is it you know what is? How do we look at that, and is it big enough? Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, the the, the, big in Canada, we often look at Canada, Canada, it's it's big, you know, but it's not that big from a a revenue point of view. U.S. is is very big, but you add in Europe and that's a whole uh, bigger market opportunity. Africa Mm -hmm. emerging big time. That's another Mm -hmm. opportunity. So there's so much more market out there. But unless you hyper segment, you're not going to be able to be best in the world at that.
0: Yeah. Yep. The, the hyper segmenting is, is niching down like that is key. And I think, um, here's Matt Goosey. He, he dropped a comment in here. Wanted to learn more about me. Just Google my name. And he's, he's serious. Matt's got MRS machining in, in Wisconsin there. And, uh, I mean, he, he goes out of his way to, to be uh, digitally known and, and doing what he's doing. And, and it's one of those things where you look at it and, um, his business is thriving because of it. And, and there's just some people that understand that and understand specifically where they play the best. Yeah, And, and you see it in, in some of the great companies, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're an auto manufacturer or you're a, you know, someone that's making parts for airplanes, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, it's, and the people that do it though, when you play in your lane and you do a really good job and you're, you are known for that and you are actively out there doing it. Um, you can be the best in the world at something. And it's and it's like you said, if you wanted to be the best in the world at making a pen, right? You probably can sell millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of pens if you're the best in the world at it.
1: Probably, but I would still say you've got a hyper segment. Yeah. It's got to be a fountain pen and it's got to be for for people over 50 with arthritis and uh, nearsighted. You know, I, there I don't you know. Go. I mean, there you go. You're right. you're right. So when you do that, and I say to you, are you over 50? Do you have a little bit of arthritis? Do you like fountain pens? We should talk. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's an awesome example because it's exactly what you need to do as, as you're doing it. Because uh, when you look at the world, there, and we were all stuck with this. We were growing up. What was the market? Well, you know, there's about this many people that live around <laughs> us, you know. And now that that's just, it's totally bunk because we can sell anything anywhere. We know yep. we can. Okay. And and so the the world is your market, and it, you're you may not sell hardly anything. And I, I'll give you a great example. There's a there's a cooking store that I like to frequent, and, and I'm a horrible cook. I'm just saying that. But so cooking store. store is that what you Yeah, yeah. I just guy just go in there because he's got cool junk, right? Okay. So you walk in this cooking store. It looks like a shoe box, and you talk to the owners of the cooking store. They sell three times what they sell in the physical store out the back that you can't see on e-commerce. Yeah. Yeah. This, and I I was in another, another place that's, that's local to us here across on the peninsula. This is a a liquor store. Like I've never seen before, literally. And a 3000 foot wine cellar, uh, a tasting room for, for single malts. just fantastic. again, in a place where there are not a hundred thousand people within 20 miles of it, uh, unless you get on a ferry, they sell again twice as much by e yep. commerce than they do everywhere else. Yep. I just think that the coolest thing about it is when people niche down like that hyper segment, you can go, you can do this anywhere, you can do it anywhere, and you can create these experience, experience destination places to go. And in, in the case of the of the liquor store, they had a restaurant, they had a chocolatier place with a, a coffee shop, and it was a family business. But they had a thriving family business. I just think, to me, I, I get off on the opportunity that that creates, because I grew up in a small town in South Dakota that, you know, had less than 500 people. And you just think, what could you do with that today? Anything. I know. it's. Yeah. It's it's amazing, but I go off was, on that a little you,
1: bit. You make a good point there. You're talking about that that uh, family store with the, the the chocolate shop and all yeah. the rest of it and the family restaurant. That's the brand. Yeah, and and people relate to that brand even if they're they're buying from you know they, they might be in I don't know um, uh, Lucerne you know or yeah. or, or uh, Buenos Aires right, but they mm-hmm. relate to the brand. Yes. because that, that brand of family and, and wholesomeness will come through even though it's digital yeah you know that's that's the other aspect of, of you know what i look at you're you're asking me earlier what uh you know what are the success factors and it, it it's a it, it's it's core purpose i mean that's people like my vision and mission and all the rest of it those, if you look up one dictionary you know mission will be what vision is you know it, it, they're useless terms so we talk about, or I talk about, core purpose. Yeah. Why are you in business? What's the dent you're making in the universe? Mm-hmm. And the companies that do well are the ones that that can, you know, put their hand on their heart and say, you know, I'm I'm doing this. Um, you know, the the I've got a client who's bringing. Um, Tutoring and educational support to every person in the world—you know, helping the people of the world share what they know with with people who want to learn—that's mm-hmm. what they're doing. You know, they're a relative startup at this point; they're worth uh, maybe a hundred billion or something. But you know, they're 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 finding their way through. But that core purpose ignites everybody. Yes. And when I work with a company, once once I've you know earned the 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 trust of the owner, I I ask them. I say, Why are you doing this? What? Oh, Make money. My dad had a, you know, whatever. It's, you know, bullshit. You know, what what's the difference you're making in the world? Yeah. And and when they can't enunciate that, when they can't connect what they do during the day with with a positive impact on the world, then things start to fall apart. It's just a job, right? Yeah. And you know, sometimes I I I need to lead them through it and have them because they never thought this way. They have to start thinking about that, and they go, oh, we had a client who is a contractor, right? So he builds apartment buildings. Yeah. And uh, very, very successful. And he, he asked us to say, look, I want to stop building apartment buildings. I want to build a company. Uh, so rather than building one at a time, you know, build it, sell it, build it, sell it. He, he's slowly building his concrete empire, right? And he's got uh, half a dozen buildings now and he's worth uh, hundreds of millions. So he's doing well. And we started to ask him about this stuff. And he said, oh, no, that's bullshit. You know, what are you talking about? You know, i got to make a yeah. profit. You know, uh, be success. That's the, that's the reason we're doing it, right? But we got to him. And finally, he, he said, you know, the reason we're doing this is to give people a really nice place to live that's safe and secure. And we design them in such a way that we actually create a community within the building. And our, our long-term vision is that we want to build the same kind of housing on the moon for people when they live there. Now this is a this is a real you know hard boot steel toed pickup truck kind of you know no nonsense yeah. you know effing everything third word yeah. kind of guy. But that's what he came back with once I got him thinking about it. So now it's part of his story. And the employees are going, yeah, we're going to build houses on the moon. Yeah. You know we're building the right kind of housing for people. So that's the dent in the universe. And when you do that, you attract people. You keep people. It's part of your brand, part of your mythology, and and everybody loves it. I was, I was looking at a website the other day. Uh, it was part of some research I was doing and, uh, you know, about us, okay, you know, you founded and whatever, and, you know, six employees, like, whatever, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And there was a little video there. You know, here's us having, uh, here, here's some company activity. All right, click. And it was about a oh, three-minute video and they were having balloon fights. They were having hot dog roasts. They were... Um, collecting money at Halloween, They're all this sort of you know stuff, right? Nothing to do with the business. But at the end of it, I thought, I like these guys. I do business with them, right? Yeah. But it's that, it's that personal thing. It's that putting your, your heart on your sleeve, talking about why you're in business. And it's that that vision beyond the owner's lifespan Yeah. <laughs> that, that starts to, to work for people. And companies yeah. that have those kinds of things have a lot more fun, and usually they do really, really well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you talk about it in your in your common threads for businesses Right. Yeah. You talk about sense of purpose. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's. And,
1: and it, it's understanding
0: so is key. Yeah. yeah.
1: What's your sense of purpose? Like, what what do you do? What you do? What's the dent you make in the universe? Sorry to put oh. you on the spot, but no, hey. no,
0: no. I want to help every business owner I can in my lifetime to, to exit their business successfully, however the hell they want to do it. I'll give them the information. I just want to make that difference because there's so few people that ever get to, they work so damn long in their businesses and so hard and so many get to the end and they end up having to liquidate or close it down or, or die at their desk. There's so many bad ways that they go out. I want every one of them, get them every bit of information I can so they can do it right. And, I don't care if I get paid.
1: That's good. That's good. So you're making the world a better place for those guys. For those people. I don't know.
0: Maybe maybe I just you know spewing more junk out of my mouth, but hopefully it helps somebody. You know, because it's the the alternative for them. is not good. Yeah, it's yeah. not well, good. I,
1: that's that's sort of you know our our story as well. Uh, you know, we we believe, I truly believe that a a, a privately owned company. Can do the right thing for the world yeah well, look what happened in ukraine recently okay the number of of privately held companies uh, linkedin posts uh, public announcements whatever that said we're out you know yeah. we're, we're gone yeah and they did it like almost overnight yep well some of the larger companies did it it took them a week or so uh and i'm sure they had to talk to their lawyers and they had, uh, yeah. it was kind of a corporate decision and, and okay yeah. it's a good decision i don't i don't uh you know, not them for that at all, uh, but but a private company can do things that are suboptimal profitably for profits or performance, but that's the right thing to do. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to lay off Bob or Mary. You know, they're 60, they want to work three more years, they really aren't performing anymore, but they've been good people. I'm I'm going to carry them. Yeah, I can do the right thing. I can yeah. donate money. I can use. Yeah, I can do that stuff. So. That's why I want to do everything I can to help privately run businesses perform yeah. better, because yeah. it, it creates good jobs, it creates good communities, uh, it creates uh, income for people. And, and yeah. it's not such a big deal in North America, but other parts of the world, a job is huge. You know, employed people means no anarchy, really. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to claim world peace, but you know, it's that sort of thing. So that's that's why I do what I do.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's cool because it is, it is, I mean, privately held businesses are the heartbeat of, you'd show me one world, economy or the world. It is, wow. they are. And, and you're right. They can do the right things. They can make money doing the right things. They can generate wealth for their owners and their families and for generations, if they do the right things. And their community. The community. community. For the community. For the community. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say country. the community. If
1: you export, you're bringing in foreigners, yeah. right? You're, yeah. you're, 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 it's a building block. It's everything. Yeah.
0: yeah. And it's, and it's so good to be able to, to see, I'm, I'm sure just warm. I mean, some of the, the stories that you get to hear about the companies and why they do things has got to be just phenomenal. Oh, it's
1: yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're just, it they just, it's interesting. There's not much of a story. They just do it. They don't the press, publicity. They don't tell people. They just do it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, one of these guys, I was involved with uh, scouts for a very long time, and my yeah. three boys were in scouts. And uh, one of these guys just he showed up with a pickup truck. He said, I know you guys are having a big camp. I... And he's got a pickup truck full of stuff that we could use at this camp. He had, you know, water barrels and, and, and sort of ropes and, you know, yeah, all the stuff you need for scout camp, camp. And we said, well, you know, wow, thanks. Uh, how much do we owe? Said, you know, it was a couple of thousand dollars worth of stuff. And yeah. It just, it's the right thing to do. So yeah. we did. It. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that's the kind of thing that you just love to hear when, when, uh, when local businesses do it right. Uh, and, and like you said, it, it's, it's, that sense of purpose fills the community, the employees, the customers and the business owners, um, hearts and pockets at the end of the day, it helps everyone. It does. It does. And And it's, it's, uh,
1: I just, I mean, I'll tell people I I haven't worked in 25 years. I mean, I just love what I do. Uh, I mean, intellectually, it, it, everything's a challenge. It's always a puzzle. Yeah. Typically, it's those, you know, those four things I mentioned before. How yeah. do we, how we, you know, what, how do we make that work? But, but the 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 positive impact that I'm I'm privileged to be able to to provide. Yeah. Uh, is it, it just it warms my soul.
0: Yeah. Well, that's cool. I saw I saw you had written that down, and you know, I I. I concur and i feel the same way about what i get to do i pinch myself every day because i get to get up it wakes me up early in the morning because not because i have to because i think because it's it's just the ability to be able to do what you do yeah. and it shows and talking to you and and your your enthusiasm and passion for it it's so so great to be able to just experience
1: yeah yeah so you- Watching you grin away, we both got this big.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Because I mean, because there is nothing like there is nothing like solving those problems and helping those those privately held businesses do what they do well.
1: Yeah. And, and, do, you find, and do, you, do you find like I do that you know I, we might get involved with a client you know with some sort of market research activity, and then we'll you know get into uh, you know, development and strategy and whatever, and then very quickly it, it's a very privileged place to be is yeah. we start we become sort of the consigliere the advisor yeah uh, on all things yeah. uh and it, and it can be you know family issues it can be uh certainly business issues all sorts of things and it, it's um it's a privilege to be invited into people's confidence to be able to do that and and after, after doing this for 25 years with hundreds of situations, you know, I've, I've got some context usually. But don't do that because, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you've seen it before and it, it yeah. is, you're exactly right. It, because it, it, most people that are on the outside of a business don't know how lonely it is being the owner of a business. Totally. You
1: know, it we is. I know it, that, right?
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, I mean, but honestly, a lot of business owners get up and look in the mirror every day. Cause that's the person that's going to decide what they're going to do and how successful they're going to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and okay. they, they do need a lot of help uh, you know um, or they appreciate good help when they, when they can have good advice. So when we, when we're talking about you, let's let's go some of these common threads of businesses that thrive, because you've got some good ones here and you talk about one that we talked about sense of purpose. But you talk about optimism, and I think this is this is one that you you see every day in businesses and it kind of goes unnoticed just because it's so common. So why do you you think that optimism is is always a common thread?
1: It's um. I guess when I wrote that I must have been dealing with somebody who wasn't very optimistic. But it, it's, um, it's looking at every instance, everything that comes your way, as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, half your, first, your 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 company employees quit. Oh, okay, I can hire new people. Or, you know, as opposed to, oh, what will I ever do? You know, so it's, yeah. it's always looking at business sort of half full because business is full of challenges every day. There's something yeah. that's going to happen and you can t- you can look at it as, you know, they'll SWOT analysis. You can look at it as an opportunity or a threat. And yeah. if you look at all of the things that happen as opportunities, then you can be much more optimistic that you've got a, a uh, an upside in it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but if you feel like everybody's trying to, you know, crap on you, then yeah, you 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 you've, you've got to shake that attitude. And I think you know, uh, you probably certainly me occasionally there be days when you're just like, ah, shit, you know, yeah, it's something Something's not yeah. right here. And you know, you you kind of have to work with your peer group, talk to your friends, and and sort of get your get your mojo back. And
0: yeah,
1: where you go or yeah. go and do hole with your tractor or something.
0: Oh, I think, I think you're a hundred percent on the, on the optimism one, because I've worked with people that are not owners that are not. And, and when, when you're in those situations, or I should say not very, always some optimism in it. Yeah. But when you look at people that, that are generally wake up with that, that glass is half full and I'm going to enjoy that half full glass, you know, that it's a different business.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, you could have a business and that person be like that, not quite as optimistic or not very optimistic. Uh, and they can make money and they can do things and, and those kind of things, but not nearly as well as somebody that, that is really in it with some optimism, with a lot of optimism.
1: And the, and the, the, the thing that happens, of course, if you go in, into, into work and start interacting with your team and you're not, Hey, it's a great day, everybody. Uh, the, the, the captain of the ship, sets the tone yes and everybody's kind of like my i look for a job or this will never work or you know you 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 lose that that
0: energy yeah
1: and and if you if you if i think optimism kind of equates with energy and if, if mm-hmm. you you've got the whole team is full of optimism you know they got a core purpose they've got a vision they're building houses on the moon and now we're on our way yeah and, and anything can happen anything mm-hmm. But if you're everybody's, you know, got their boots on slugging through the mud and feeling like life, you know, life's a bitch. And they, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
0: yeah, No, I think I 100. And I think that as you look at the differentiator in businesses, and I I I equate a lot of things back to sports. You get a professional level. I don't care what sport you choose. Choose anything. When you're at a professional level, everyone is good. Everyone has practiced. Mm-hmm. Everyone has honed their skills an awful lot. It comes down to mindset. It comes down to apt a, attitude. It comes down to feeling of, of, like you're saying, sense of purpose. And I think optimism, thinking that you can, today is a good day. I've got an opportunity to win like no other because I've got a great team around me. That optimism is the differentiator. Because in business, we're all professionals.
1: Yeah.
0: We're not in sports, but we're in business. And when you're in competitive environments, I think that is part of what is the differentiator between those businesses that consistently win or more consistently win.
1: Yeah. And I think it's easier to be optimistic when you have direction. So companies that don't have a strategic plan that they're running to, or they don't have at least a month's plan or some sort of forward trajectory i won't call it a vision but what are we doing next month or by the end of the year and how are we going to get there if there isn't a game plan go back to sports if there isn't a game plan well do your best you know then it's really difficult to be optimistic because you you you're you're not getting the metrics to say are we improving is it going well and you've got really no idea what you're supposed to be doing next week different from today to make it better so yeah why be optimistic because it's the same old crap right yeah
0: yeah yeah good great great i thought that was that's awesome because you know we talked about that and sense of purpose and and you one last one before before we we wrap up here you talk about vulnerability yeah and in there and being vulnerable is a common common thread and so what do you mean by that unless it it's but
1: it starts with the with the CEO, the owner, right? Um, and then it goes down through an organization. But talking about the CEO, um, I've met a lot of CEOs who know everything, and they want to demonstrate they know everything. And you ask, you know, if you ask a question, they will they will have a rock solid answer and shut try to shut you down. Their job is to is to prove that they don't have to listen to me. And a CEO who is open to questioning themselves, opening to to being critiqued. Can improve, but if you if you if you know it all and you want to just demonstrate that you know, consultants. Hey, who needs a consultant? <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine. Have a, have yeah. a wonderful day. <laughs> yeah. And we'll go. But but the ones who who are prepared to explore things. Yeah, you know, like I'll go back to the core purpose question. You know, what do we need that for? You know. So getting into that with someone that that's a vulnerability. That's sort of yeah. you're going to an area where they don't have any uh experience any any path to, to tread mm-hmm. they're you know we're exploring it together so that's vulnerable you can have the same conversation about um you know best in the world you know what are you really really good at uh we're good at everything you know we want to prize on this a price on that you know okay but they're 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 not exploring and when you want to explore you you have to be vulnerable
0: yeah. I that's well said and I, I read your example and I loved it. When you're talking about you have to you have to want to not be the smartest person in the room or accept that you're not the smartest person in the room and I think that's yeah. that is and I think that again comes around to in successful companies people are curious.
1: Mm-hmm. They
0: know they know we're not the best. You could always be better. And and the the CEO like you described that that know-it-all, I mean, they obviously are probably not that curious and, and not that kind of person that's going to continue to be better. And I, I think that I asked the question simply, because I, I, about this point, because I think this is one of the things along with sense of purpose and, and optimism that really drives the best companies, because if you're not curious, if you're not trying to get better every single minute of every day, I don't care what you do. You can do, you'd be a heart surgeon, right? Um, you're getting passed up. You don't yeah. know it, but you're getting passed up because somebody else down the street across the globe is is figuring it out better every day because they are curious. Yeah. <laughs> and part of that
1: part of that curiosity, I think, is a great expression. You know, if you're if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. And yep. I think a lot of CEOs fall into that trap of thinking that. You know, it's the old military deal, right? You know, the, the general knows everything, so do, mm-hmm. do what you're told. Um, so they fall into that trap of being the CEO. I'm supposed to know everything, so I gotta pretend that I do, as opposed to being vulnerable to being you know, shown up by someone else in the company. So, yeah, if your executive team can challenge you and is knows more and you know has ideas, unless you let those ideas out and explore them, showing vulnerability. You're not going to improve because that great idea that's going to make you best in the world <laughs> won't yes. necessarily get onto the table because yeah. it'll be shut down. So yeah, I think I think that that you know vulnerability sort of is is a it, it covers almost everything.
0: Yeah, it really does. It really does. Oh, it's been, it's been awesome talking to you. I can't believe we've all spent an hour here doing this, Andrew. It's, it's so We're great to get, get tomorrow. This was fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was because I'm sure when we get into the marketing that you do, and like you said about uh, creating that, that, that brand awareness and it's and really understanding how the marketing and sales and business development all works together in the process is it, so great. Um, but Man, I just appreciate you. Appreciate you taking the time because it's been so much fun.
1: Yeah, no, it's and, been good. I uh,
0: thank you for for having me on. Yeah. Well, if someone wants to get a hold of you, Andrew, it, is uh, LinkedIn a good place? What's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: LinkedIn, you'll find me, Andrew Penny, on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh The company is Kingsford Consulting. Yep. So if you uh, if you Google Kingsford Consulting, once you get past all the barbecue uh, uh, yep. advertisements, you'll find King, Kingsford Consulting.
0: Very good, very good. And you'll and we're gonna have Andrew's stuff in the in all the show notes and everything else, so you'll be able to find him there. But I just want to say thank you once again, Andrew, for being here today. We we're talking about some marketing. Andrew is doing B two B marketing and really helping with business development for midsize companies. And appreciate you being here today. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. All right. Everyone, thanks so much for being here today. We're going to be back again in a couple of days talking to somebody about another interesting topic. Thank you.